That's where we're going to be this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, all the passages that we're going to look at this morning are in your notes. And so you can follow along. And I, I want to do this. I want to start off with a disclaimer this morning. And I don't know if I can really do that, but I'm going to do that anyways. And, and, and this is what I want to say. What we're going to talk about this morning, the story that the book of Acts brings us to as we're studying through it, uh, it's something that I think is very helpful for, for, for people in this room who know Jesus. And are, and are trying to join him in what he is doing in this world. Um, this, is, this is for people who are sure of where they stand with God. And, and so uh, if you come here this morning and, and this place is more of a discovery place for you right now that you are coming in trying to figure out who Jesus is and what he's about and what does it mean to follow him, um, then, then this morning's message isn't directly for you, but, it, but, but that doesn't mean it's not helpful. I mean, if that's you right now, I, I would just say two things for you. First of all, I, I love it that you're here. We love it that you're here. We pray that this would be a place that is helpful for anybody to walk in here and discover who God is and what he does and what it, what it means to follow him. And so we, we love it that you're here. And, and even though we're going to talk about kind of where God moves a person after we decide to follow him, um, this is really helpful when we're discovering about God. See, God and his agenda for people and his agenda for your life, this isn't a hidden thing. God doesn't, God doesn't hide these things for us. It's not that we get to know God and then, um, and then like months later, somebody sits us down and tells us the real deal. God isn't like that. He, he, he shares us with these things up front so we can discover. This is, this is where he's going to move us, that being saved is not just about going to heaven and having your sins forgiven, but that God also wants to lead us into a purpose. And, and so this morning, I, I want to again make that purpose very clear to us again, and, and I pray that it's helpful for everyone. And so I know a big part of that is up to God, and so I just want to pray for us one more time as we, as we dive in. So why don't you pray along with me, God? You are a good God, and in being a good God, I, I, I know that you love to lead our lives and, and teach us and give us understanding. And so um, I ask you to do that again today as we study Study this story. And God, I, I thank you for everybody that you've brought here this morning. They could be doing anything, but, but you brought them here. And so I pray in that, that, that this would be helpful for all who are here. And God, uh, we give ourselves to what you have to say. We want to hear from you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so I know a lot of you don't fully know me, and so... A little bit about myself. When you, when you get to know me, one of the things that I love to do in my free time, when I have a little bit of free time, is I like to fly fish. And um, for you guys that are gear fishermen and stuff like that, I mean, I am into fly fishing only. And, and, and yes, this is kind of a pride thing. I mean, uh, it, it's one of these things where it's kind of like being an Oregon State beaver. You, you may not win every game, but you just kind of know that you're better. And so uh, this, is, um, this is how it is. I'm a fly fishing only kind of guy. And so, uh, so one of the things that I'm learning to do right now is I'm learning how to fly fish for winter steelhead. 
this is just something, you know, there's a lot of great places to fish in Oregon and Washington, but, you know, gas money is kind of expensive, and uh, I got little kids at home, so I just can't be gone for three or four days fishing, and so there's this amazing river, maybe, maybe you've heard about it, it's called the Washougal, and, and, and every so often, this river is full of winter steelhead, and so, you know, for a poor, you know, young kids at home, dad, this is an amazing thing that I can just walk out, and I can fish for winter steelhead just a walk from my house. And so what I've learned though is winter steelheading is a little bit different than just fishing in general. See, one of the things I learned growing up, and this kind of make me a redneck or whatever, but you know, my granddad used to always say, I know that's kind of like a phrase that says you grew up in the, in the hills, but my granddad used to always say um, that you cannot catch a fish unless you have your line in the water. Maybe, maybe you've heard that before, that the idea is if you, if you really want to have a lot of success in fishing, you should just all the time be out there fishing. And, and, and while this is true with winter steelheading, it's a little bit different than that. Because I, I don't know, I know a lot of us aren't fishermen here. And so um, winter steelhead, they're a migratory fish, right? And in, in other words, they don't uh, they're not always in the Washougal River. I could go out in the middle of October and I could fish all day long. I could have my line in the water all day long, but, but the fish aren't there. And there's no way I'm going to catch a fish if they're not there. But, but just about November, around Thanksgiving Day, when you, know, you get the first big rainstorm, when, when that happens, all of a sudden these fish start to come from the ocean into the river. And so as, as a fisherman, what you learn to do is you, you learn to watch the water and you watch the weather and you listen to other people. And, and, and so when November comes along, you take the long way to work, uh, which for me, I, I can get from my house to the church in three minutes. Um, or I can drive along the river and I can check out the water and see what it looks like and see if anybody's fishing. And so, um, so I do that. And, and when the setting's right, when I know there's fish there, when I know the water looks good, then I rearrange myself to get out there and, and, and fish because I know this is the best chance to be successful and what I'm doing. And, and we start there today because when we talk about joining what God is doing in this world, participating with him, I, I want to tell you it's a lot like that. Um, it, it, it's a lot of learning to, to be able to look out and to see what God is, is doing around us, see the appointments that God is setting up for us. And, and when we recognize what God is doing, then we rearrange ourselves to join him in that. I mean, this is, this is what it means to follow him and to join what he is doing in the world. See, God's agenda for this world, it's, it's very clear to us. And, and the book of Acts, as we've been walking through this study, it's, it's showing us again that God, what he is doing in this world is he is relentlessly pursuing relationships with people. Um, that he wants to forgive them. And he wants to heal the brokenness in their life. And he wants to, to bring them hope and, and give them a purpose. And, and when God does this, this shouldn't be a surprise for us. Because, because God has been saying all along, this is what he's going to do. I mean, Jesus said this after he died on the cross and, and rose again. Maybe you remember this story that Jesus is, he, he's, um, he's been dead for three days and then he rises again and he appears to his closest friends, his disciples. And so these guys have went through the emotions of, of having their leader die on a cross and he's dead and they're confused about that. And then now he's alive and he's, 
he's standing in front of them and he's interacting with them and they're thinking to themselves, um, what does this mean? I mean, what's going to happen? This is, this is incredible. And Jesus, in that discussion, he, he does this. It says in Luke 24 that he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what was written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead. And on the third day, and, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so here's these men and they're, they're, they're looking at Jesus and they're wondering, what does this mean? What's going to happen now? What is God going to do when Jesus tells them? He says, well, this message of repentance and forgiveness, and maybe you could circle these two words. That repentance and forgiveness of sin, that this message is going to be shared um, to all nations. That the reality that through Jesus and what he had done on the cross, that we can be made right with God. We can be forgiven. Shame can be taken away. And we can turn from a destructive life to, to the life that we've been designed to live. That's the idea of repentance. It, it carries with this idea that I would change direction in my life, that I would literally be transformed and move and live in a different way. And Jesus says, this is what is going to happen. This is what God is going to do. This is his agenda that this message would get out to people. He's pursuing them. He, he, he wants us to know this. And so when you were a kid and, and, and your parents sat down with you and they read Bible stories and they began to, to share with you a little bit about Jesus. Or uh, when your grandma invited you to church and, and you began to hear about Jesus. Or a friend invited you to youth group and, and you were there and you got to hear the message of Jesus. Or maybe it's right now in your life that you're just in a place where um, you, you're being prompted, you're being challenged to think about, is God real? Does he matter? Does, does he impact my life in, in any way? And you come in here and you begin to hear somebody explaining who Jesus is and, and, and what he's done. Anytime those things happen, this is a fulfillment of what Jesus said was going to happen 2,000 years ago. I mean, we're clear across the world from Jerusalem, but it's happening. This message of, of repentance and forgiveness so that we can have a relationship with God is, is being preached today. And, and, and we ask ourselves, well, well, how does God do this? God is pursuing people with this message, but how does he accomplish this? And, and what we find in the Bible is that God does accomplish this for the most part through his people. Um, through, through those of us who already have experienced God's forgiveness and we have repented and, and we understand the reality of that in our lives, then, then out of that, we want to share that message with others. We want to make him known. We want to invite other people to follow him like, like we have. And this, too, is what Jesus said was going to happen. This is what the book of Acts tells us, that Jesus sat down with his followers right after, again, he died on the cross, rose again, and he sits down with them and he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That Jesus says the primary way that God is going to accomplish this mission to pursue people is he's going to do it through you and I. We're going to be witnesses. We're going to tell about what we 
have experienced. And you know, for those of us that know God, uh, we take this very seriously. This is an intense thing in our lives. Because when you begin to realize the, the hope and the, and the freedom and the, and, and the purpose that God brings you when you respond to him and then you look out at, at people in your life that you care for, like, like family members and, and, and good friends and, and people you work with and you look out and you see their lives and you see what is lacking for them, that, that even though they have joy at times, that there's not a fullness of, of an understanding of, of God and walking with him. And so when you see this, you long for them to know God like you do. And, and sometimes um, this is a huge weight for us. I mean, I mean, we care about people. Sometimes we, we cry over the decisions that they make in their lives. And, and so we, we want to share Christ with them. We want this message to go out to the people in our lives. But at the same time, um, the experience of sharing the gospel with somebody else, the good news with somebody else, that can be overwhelming, right? Even though we want this so bad for them. I mean, helping them to, to be interested and, and telling them about it and, and getting that right opportunity. I mean, this is a, this is a frustrating thing sometimes. This is, this is confusing. Sometimes it just feels like you're, you're out there and nothing is happening. I mean, for me, honestly, it's, it's easy for me to get up in front of a, peop, a group of people or even in front of a bunch of teenagers who, you know, don't necessarily care. And, and it's easy for me to get up there and to tell them about Jesus and, and, and to share it in front of a crowd. But when, it, when, it's, a, when it's a friend or, or a family member in a one-on-one -on -one situation, this is This is tough. And in my life, as I, I look over the years, there, there, there's only been a handful of times where, where it seems like that really went well. I can remember one time when I was in college and uh, I lived with four other guys and one of my roommates, he started dating a girl. And, and this was a pretty serious relationship. In fact, a couple years later, they ended up getting married. But he was dating this girl and she lived five hours away. So she went to school in central Washington up in Ellensburg. And, and we were in Corvallis at Oregon State. And so um, they, they wanted to see each other, but this was a long trip. And so on, on weekends, oftentimes he would leave and go up there or she would drive down to Corvallis. And, and since it was a five-hour drive, she didn't like to drive that route by herself and so every time she would come to Corvallis, she would bring a friend. And this is kind of where I got involved in the whole relationship because uh, she would bring one of her girlfriends with her and the same girl every time came. And, and I got to take on the role of what we call the wingman. I don't know if you're familiar with this role at all, but, but the four of us, we would go out and we, could, we would do things together. And this was exciting. Um, but there was always a time where, where my roommate and his girlfriend wanted to be alone. They just had things to talk about, stuff like that. And so that's where I stepped in. And my job was to entertain the other person, right? And to hang out with her. And it was honestly, it was kind of fun because there was, no, um, there was no confusion about dating or anything like that. And so I just enjoyed getting to know this girl and, and just talking to her about all kinds of things. And so, so one weekend after she had, he, she had been in Corvallis and, and they left and they went home. And a couple days later, it was in between class. I, I remember this. I, 
had a class and had a little break. And so I went to the computer lab to check my email. It was kind of in those days when you didn't have email on your phone. And, and so I, I went and I, I checked my email and she had sent me an email and it was really short, but it but basically said this. Uh, I got a lot of things going on in my life and, and things are, are really a struggle. And I've, I've realized the problem is that I don't know God. I don't know him, and I I need to know him. Matthias, can you help me find him? That was the email. I remember sitting there and being like, wow, I only have one minute. What what do I do with this? And so I emailed her back real quick and said, I'll I'll try the best I could. And and, and I sat through class for a few hours just wondering what was going to go on here. And then I, I went home that evening. I called her up and over the phone in a conversation about an hour long, she she decided to follow Jesus. And, and this, was, this was amazing for me. Um, a, a person, one-on-one, on, one on one, I mean, these things don't, don't happen all the time, at least for me. And so every time they do happen, I, I take a step back and I, I think to myself, God, what did you do there? How did, how did this happen? Because these are the kind of situations that I want to be in. I, I want to be around people that I care about them hearing the message and responding to the message. And so I, so I ask God, what did you do there? And, and, and what was my part in this? And can I, can I recreate this? And I think these are great questions for us to ask. When it comes to this message of repentance and forgiveness going out, what is... What is God's role in all of this? And, and what, is, what is my role? I, I think if we can understand these things, if we can get an answer, it, it frees us up to share the gospel. And, and the story in Acts chapter 8, it, it's a story that I think the answers to these questions, it just kind of pops out. In fact, as we just walk through this story, what I want you to be thinking about is just very simply, what was God's role in this experience and what was, what was a person's role? And the person we're going to read about today is a guy named Philip. See, if you were here last week, as we've walked through the book of Acts, we, we left off with the story of Stephen. Remember that? And, and Stephen was killed because of his testimony about Jesus. And, and, and when Stephen is killed, it kind of, it kind of starts up this, this incredible persecution of the people who were following Jesus that Saul and some of his friends were, were taking this mission on intensely to find the people who were following Jesus and tell them to stop. And so you would think that, that pressure and jail time and, and persecution would stop these people from following Jesus. But as we, as we read through Acts chapter 8, it doesn't take their joy from them. It doesn't even stop them from proclaiming the truth that they've experienced about God in their life. But one thing it does is it scatters these people. They, they move on from Jerusalem. And, and one of these guys is a guy named Philip. And, and Philip was a lot like Stephen in that he was one of the seven who was picked to take care of the distribution of the food to the widows who were in need. I don't know if you remember that back in chapter six, but they were looking for some extra servants and, and, and they, they found seven of them, Stephen. And one of these guys is Philip. And so Philip was a key servant of God at that time. And, and Philip, he travels from Jerusalem up into the area of Samaria, which is north of Jerusalem. And, and there he begins to tell people about Jesus. 
He's explaining to them who Jesus is and and what he's done. And some incredible things start to happen. People are responding to Philip's message. Demons are being cast out. All all of these exciting things are going on. And then we we pick it up in in verse 26. and, And as we read this again, I want you to think about what did God do and what did Philip do? In verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, to the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so you have to picture this, that that Philip is up in the north above Jerusalem, and exciting, amazing things are happening. God is doing there. And an angel shows up to him. Which to me, if that ever happens to me, I know that's going to be important. Like this is, this is an important message that is going to be given right now. And so an angel shows up to him and gives him a message to leave where he's at and to go through Jerusalem to the south and to go out on this road. And he doesn't really tell him what's going to happen. He doesn't really tell him what to do. He just says, go to this road south of Jerusalem. In verse 27, it says, so he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of Ethiopians. And so so Philip goes and and on the way, he he meets this man, this this Ethiopian. And and we got to ask ourselves, well, who is this man? What, What do we know about this guy? Uh, well, we know he's from a region that they called Ethiopia, which is actually a long ways away from Jerusalem. I don't know if you know your geography very well, but, but there's Jerusalem up in the north. And if you got to go south and west a little bit, you get into Africa. And at the corner of Africa is Egypt, right? And then below Egypt is this region of Ethiopia at the time. And, and so this man was from that region and he was an important person in that region. It says that he was an important official, that he was in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. In other words, this guy took a, took a position kind of like a presidential cabinet member, that, that he was in charge of the, the treasury, the money for this entire country. And so we can learn from that that he was probably educated. Um, he was probably very knowledgeable, that, that he was probably wealthy as well. In fact, we're going to learn that he had a, a scroll of the book of Isaiah, which said a lot about his wealth and status. These things weren't cheap to buy. And it says that he was a eunuch. Which in that day to join the queen and, and, and working alongside her, they, they asked you to make an incredible sacrifice. They just didn't want to have anything inappropriate physically going on between the queen and her officials. And so they took care of that. And so this guy, he, he cared about his country and this position enough that he would go through that to be able to serve. And, and this man, he also was a, was a worshiper of God. And, and I think this is an important thing for us to understand, that, that he was seeking out God, that he wanted to know God and, and worship him so much that he would rearrange himself, that he would go through this long trip from being down in Ethiopia, that he would rearrange it with the queen and all of his responsibilities so that he could go up to Jerusalem to worship. 
that we learn that this guy had been a convert to, to Judaism. And, and, and when you were a Jew, the place that you wanted to go to worship was the temple. I mean, this was where the sacrifices were offered. This is where it was said that God's presence could dwell. And even though his nationality and, and, and his physical makeup, it kept him from certain parts of the temple, he still wanted to go close. He wanted to be as close to God as he could. And this is when Philip meets him. He meets him on this discovery when this guy is seeking out God. And this is what Luke records about this meeting, about this interaction. He goes on to say, and on his way home, this man was sitting in his chariot and he was reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. And I, I, I just have to imagine this situation if I'm Philip. I mean, an angel has come to me and, and said, go down to this road. And I don't really know what's going to happen. And so I'm down on this road. And, and if I'm Philip, I'm probably kind of walking around, just waiting for something to happen. You know that feeling? Where you think it's supposed to be important. You think it's supposed to be big. And you're just kind of walking around, meeting people, interacting with people. And then, and then all of a sudden, this man comes along and, and God presses Philip. This is, this is why you're here. It's kind of like a, a big light and some signs and some you know, bells go off. This is why you're here. And God doesn't tell him to do anything too hard. Go stand by that guy's chariot. I mean, this is something I can do. I mean, it might be awkward to walk up to it. I don't know, but, but this is something I can do. Go and stand next to this chariot. And so in verse 30, it says that Philip ran up to the chariot. And he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless somebody explains it to me. What an, what an amazing statement for this man to make. Basically a statement of I want to, but I don't know how and I need some help. And I think this is a statement that, that many people in our lives are, are, are feeling and longing to say. They just don't say it. Because if you're an individual, if you're an adult in our culture, and, and you start to, to think about wanting to get to know God, I mean, this is a very lonely process sometimes to do this on your own. And so you, you walk into a church maybe and you, and, and you walk in there and if you haven't been to church much in your life, um, you know, we, we use words that you don't use every day and, and, and it's kind of awkward. You walk in, it's like everybody else knows what they're supposed to do and what's going on and you feel like you're the one who doesn't. And so you go home and you try to pick up the Bible and read it. And this thing, like it's overwhelming at first. Where, where do you start? What do you do with this? You, again, there's a lot of words and questions. More questions come up than answers sometimes. And so you, so you Google things. And, and there's lists of websites and, and, and things come up. And, and, and all you want to do is understand and, and know. And, and, and sitting there thinking, I, I'm all alone in this. If there was just somebody who could explain this to me. And a lot of people never get the chance to express that. But this man did. He, he, he says it to Philip, I, I'd like to but I need some help. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. 
And the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? He, he asked his question. He, he said what he was stuck on. And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. See, you, you ask, is this Isaiah 53? Is it talking about a, somebody else or is he talking about himself? And Philip says, well, actually, he's talking about Jesus. Let me tell you about who he is. Let me tell you about what he's done. And the good news goes out to this man. And you have to ask, what, what happened here? What was, what was God's role in, and, and what was Philip's role in this whole thing? And first of all, let's talk about what God did. God did really, in my mind, two things that we can see that God did. The first thing that God did is God set the appointment This was something that God arranged, that God knew what was going on, and God set it up. And he did it in very significant ways, right? I mean, God sent an angel to Philip to to tell him way up in the north to come down to the south just to meet this man. I mean, when when I read that, that says a lot about God's concern and love for this man. That God would go through these links to get, get somebody there to talk to him. And it also says a lot about what God thinks of Philip, doesn't it? That God would say, of all the people in this world, of all the ways I could get a hold of this man and and share this message, I think Philip is the right guy for the job. I mean, if you're Philip, what does that say about you? That that God trusts you, that God has shaped you and, and plans for you to do this. And this is an amazing thing about God, that that he looks at those of us who know him and he says, actually, I trust you with these tasks. You are the best person. You are the right person for the job with the people in your life. I mean, Paul goes on to explain a little bit more about how God thinks about these kinds of things. A little bit later in the book of Acts, in in chapter 17, the apostle Paul, he says about God, he says, he himself gives all. All men, life and breath and everything else. For from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Do do you see what God is saying? Do you see what he's done? It it says that God determined the places where where people would live. In other words, God planned the family that you were going to be born into. And the time in history that you were going to be born, that you weren't born in medieval times or something like that, that he, he, he planned right now. Camus, Washougal, the people you work with, the people you interact with, that God determined that. 
beforehand. And, and why did God determine this? Why, why did God plan out when I would be born and where I would live? He says that God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Why did God do this? He did this because he was pursuing a relationship with you, and this was the best place to plant you. God doesn't want to make this hard to find him. He doesn't want it to be difficult. And so your family or, or maybe the youth leader that shared with you or whoever it was, they were the best person for the job, weren't they? I mean, God had just uniquely shaped those people to speak in to your lives. And if God did that for us, if he set up this great environment for me, then can't we also know that God maybe is doing that for the person you work with and you're a part of that environment? Or the people in your family or, or, or your neighbors that, that God determined that and he, he, he's trusting you. He's picked out you because you are the best person for that job in that moment. And to get on board with what God is doing is to understand that. And when we see those promptings, those appointments, is to, is to invest in them, to, to go where those things are happening. God set up that appointment. The other thing that God did is God opened the man's heart. And only God could do this. That This man, when Philip comes across him, that this man is ready, that this man is eager and curious and seeking out God. That God had brought him to Jerusalem to, to, to try to worship and, and, and God had given him the scriptures that he was searching in. And this guy was, was, was hungry and eager that when Philip meets him, um, this guy is asking questions. This is something that, that only God could have done. That God opened the man's heart. And I find that the same thing is true with the people around us. That it is God who softens somebody, who opens somebody to hear about him. Who, who, who changes their heart. I just, I just realized that this is something that I cannot do. I mean, I don't know if this is me working with students for the most part, but I just, I just realized that I'm not cool enough. Um, I, I'm not creative enough. I can't meet a person and, and look at them and know the exact things to say to get them to start thinking about God. I just, I, I just can't know all these things about the people in my life. Only, only God can do this. And, and this is a great thing. For me, I mean, this, this when I understand that God opens the heart of people and readies them, this, this changes the pressures on me. I don't have to manipulate somebody. I don't have to try to convince somebody. But, that God readies people to hear this message. And God opens this man's heart. But what do we do then? I mean, what is our role? I think Philip, he did two things. The first thing that Philip do, did is he, he followed God's leading. That, that when God said go, 
When God said, here's the appointment, um, Philip went. And he didn't know all the details, but he still went. And to me, this is where, this is where joining what God is doing feels a lot like fly fishing for me. That, that when fish are there, when things are happening, when I see it, I rearrange to get out there. And this is what Philip did. And, and, and this is what we need to consider and do in our lives as well. And, and sometimes these things at first are a little bit awkward. I mean, I, mean, I, I put myself in Philip's shoes and, and God's telling me to walk up to a chariot. And the whole time I'm walking up and I'm thinking, what's my opening line? I mean, do I walk up and say, hey, man, uh, nice chariot, nice wheels. Where did you buy those? I mean, this is what dudes do. I mean, how do we start a conversation like this? But, but, but he just, he, he still, he, he walks up. He follows God's leading. We, we go to the neighbor and we invite him over to dinner, even though we always drive into our garage and we never really talk to him that much. And, and it feels weird to go the first time and knock on the door and say, hey, I got to Got a barbecue, I got a, got a deck out there. Do you want to come over and eat some food? But, but he follows God's leading. And, and, and you might say to yourself, well, how do I know God's leading me to do something? I mean, how do I know when it's God who's prompting me to go talk with somebody or, or, or rearrange or make time for somebody else? I mean, do I hear a voice? Do, do angels appear? Uh, is it a feeling that I get inside? And, and, and my answer to that question may not be fully satisfying to you, but I would just say that more you get to know God and the more you get to know his scriptures, the more you'll start to see what he's doing around you. I mean, it happens in different ways all the time. And, and sometimes it is a prompting, a, a feeling. I need to spend more time with somebody. But we, but we have to make sure that, that that feeling is matching what God is saying in Scripture. So when I'm a high school girl and I'm thinking, I need to go spend time with that boy because he's not a Christian and, and, and you know, invest my life. And sometimes I would say, well, well, let's talk about that. Is dating him maybe the best way? But the more we get to know God, the more we understand what God says and what he's about, the more we begin to recognize what he's doing. And, and, and then when we see it, we, we rearrange and, and get on board with that. On your notes next to this, you might want to write the word invest. Because at Gateway, when we talk about this, we talk about investing in the relationships that God has put in our lives. This is what we're talking about. I rearrange, I spend time, I, I pray for them, I serve them. I, I build a relationship with somebody that God is opening a door with. Philip followed God's leading, but Philip also, he, he spoke the message about Jesus. He, he explained these things to this man that he had met. And, and, and Philip, he, he didn't have to, to, to do this in a really difficult way. I mean, he just asked a question. A, a lot of times when we think about sharing about Jesus with others, we, we're thinking about this very intense, high pressure. I, I got to get in there and I just got to argue with these people. And, and, and so we, we get overwhelmed about this. But Philip just, he, he walked in and he, he asked a question. That's all he did. And it opened up into this um, amazing conversation. 
I mean, when I, I read that story, I think about the girl back in college. All I did was spend some time with her, and she actually opened up the conversation. And sometimes it, it, it works this way, and yet, and yet we still we, we need to speak about Jesus to people. And God had readied this. I mean, I mean, this man was reading out of the book of Isaiah, out of chapter 53. And if you haven't read the chapter 53 of Isaiah, this is, this is one of the clearest pictures in the Old Testament that we get about Jesus and what he was coming to do. I mean, sometimes it's clearer there than it is in the New Testament. That in this section of Isaiah, it says um, that God's servant was going to come and there was going to be nothing attractive in his appearance. That he was just going to be an average guy. And, and we know this about Jesus, that Jesus was born in a barn and there wasn't like this big kingly you know, reception for him. And, and, and Jesus, he, he, he lived in a small town, Nazareth, with a bunch of blue collar people. He just kind of grew up as an average guy. And Isaiah goes on to say that God's servant was going to suffer. And he was going to be silent as he did. And that's what we read that happened with Jesus. That, that he's arrested and he goes in front of Pilate, in front of the religious leaders, and he doesn't really argue his case. The only thing he says is, yes, I am God's son come to save. And we know that Jesus suffered tremendously. He was, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was, he was nailed to the cross. And I, I, Isaiah is talking about that. He, he, he says that God's servant will be pierced and, and crushed. And Isaiah says the reason why this will happen is that we all like sheep have gone astray. That each one has done our own thing. But it says that God laid on him, on his servant, the iniquity of us all. In other words, God punished Jesus instead of you. So that you could be forgiven and healed. And this is where this man is reading and so Philip asks a question, and, and, and the guy says, is, is, is Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? And, and, and all as Philip does is say, oh, well, he's talking about Jesus. Let me tell you what happened. Jesus was, um, was a man. He came. He was God. He experienced all these things. He, he suffered. He died. He rose again. And he did that for you, and he did that for me. But he spoke the message. A gateway, we, we like to use the word inform, and maybe you can write that somewhere big on your notes, that, that, that our role is to inform people about Jesus, that they will not know and not understand, that we can hang out, be nice, be friends, but until they hear about Jesus, how will they ever respond to him? So we've got to figure out ways to inform, to, to get that message out, whether it's inviting people to church and, and we can help you with that. Or beginning to know a little bit of your Bible and, and understand more of what God has done in your life so that you can tell others about that. Philip, Philip spoke the message and, and the impact of it is, is amazing. In verse 36, it says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Philip baptized him as a sign of the work that God had done in his life. 
I mean, that is what is happening anytime somebody is baptized, is, is they are they're publicly identifying themselves with Jesus. In other words, they're letting the world know that they were not following Jesus. They had rejected him, um, but now they're embracing him and they're trusting him and they are forgiven and they're right with God. And, and, and they want to go up in front and, and make that very clear to people. And that's what this man wanted to do. Very quickly, he wanted, he, he wanted people to know that he had received or responded to this message about God. That he had given his life to Jesus. And it's important to understand that, that every person, they can hear about God and they can gain knowledge about God. But they're, they're at some time in their life, there needs to be a response. A gateway, we like to use the word invite. That we just understand that God is inviting us not just to hear information, but to respond. And our role is to remind people of that. What are you, you going to do with this? Now that you're learning about Jesus, are you going to trust him or continue to live on your own? Philip got a chance to invite and this guy responded, and I think this is where it comes to us. That if we want to get on board with the things that, that God are doing in our, around us and in our lives, that we would join his work, that, that we need to learn, like Philip, to invest, that when God prompts and God sets something up, we go, and, and to inform that we know how to speak about these things to others, and to invite that we're not afraid to ask somebody for a response. And my question to you today is, is, are you resting in your role? I mean, we feel so much pressure with the people we care about. To try to make things happen. And sometimes we'll go to really ugly places to manipulate people, to, to threaten people, and all of these things that we, we never have to do. This is God who sets these things up and prepares people's hearts. We just need to be looking for these opportunities and, and joining in him. And when we get a chance to speak up, are, are you resting in that? All the responsibility. I just need to be ready. I like to finish messages by asking questions. I think, at least for me, it's a, it's a helpful reminder that, that when we hear something, it's not just about hearing it here and then leaving it, but it's, it's giving us some things to consider and think about as we, we go from here. And, and this morning, I just want to give you three questions that I think just pop out of this story. I think the, the first thing that I would ask you is, who is God wanting you to go near? I mean, what are the appointments that he's setting up for you? Is, what are the things that he's, he's working out, that he's showing? This, this person is asking questions. This person needs some help. Circumstances in their life are opening them up to God. Are, are you seeing those things? And if you don't see any appointments, if you can't see anything, then I would just encourage you to start asking God that he would show you this. God, would you show me and the people around me, who are you working on? What are you doing in their lives? Who do you want me to go near? And, and when you see this, I, I would say, are you willing to rearrange yourself to be around these people? 
I think this is where it gets really important for me to hear. Because I become a really focused person, and this is, this is what I'm doing, and, and this is what I enjoy. And if I'm in Samaria and great things are happening there, it's hard for me to stop and go to another place or, 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 or to rearrange myself to be available for somebody else in my life. And yet this is, this is what we have to do. Sometimes we need to, to not be as busy and leave some space in our lives. Um, sometimes we love our friends who know Jesus, but sometimes we just need to spend a little bit less time with them. Because there's a door over here that God has opened for you. And we don't want to miss those things. And are you ready to share the basic message with Jesus? You don't, you don't need to have the whole Bible memorized. <laughs> But we do need to understand a little bit of what God has done in our life. And so, so being a student of him, reading the word and understanding him more, it is about you so that you can follow him. But it's also about that you could pick up Isaiah 53 and explain it to somebody. That it, you could at least share the basics about what God has done in your life. And my hope and my prayer for this place and, and this group of people, for kids, for students, for, for, for adults, that, that this year all of us would be ready and that God would set up very significant things for us to be about. So let's pray about that this morning. God, I just, I just want to thank you again, first of all, that you, you pursued me. I want to thank you for my parents. I want to thank you for Tim Schweitzer, who invested a lot in me, and Lee Davis, and many of these other people. God, who rearranged themselves, who, who set themselves up to, to tell me about you. And God, we, we just thank you for the people that have done that in our lives. God, would you set things up for us? Would you open the doors with people around you? God, I pray for this community, for Camus and Washugal, that you would press this community. That you would work on the lives of people. That you would show them that what they are trusting in is, is small, is insignificant, is unable to save them. That those who don't know you would begin to seek you out. God, as you do that, we want to be ready. And so I pray that you would press the people around us and open their hearts. But I pray, too, that you would ready us. God, even this week for the things that you've set up for us to do. And God, again, we love you that you are relentless and patient and going after us when we've ignored you so often that you do not give up. God, we worship you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.